Welcome. It's wonderful to see you all here this evening. If uh, you're a guest with us for, for the uh, afternoon service, we are delighted that you've joined us. If you're worshiping with us on SOCC.TV, thanks for joining. And so that you know, we have a group of folks that are down at the other end in the Fellowship Hall in an overflow area. For those of you who are down there, welcome. We are grateful for your patience with us as uh, we share the rooms on both ends of the building. You know, we are winding up this series today. We've been in a series all through the Christmas season, home for the holidays, and in every sermon, we've taken a look at a room in the house that serves as sort of a, a starting point for the truth we're trying to communicate, and today we're going to talk about the kids' room, the room of anticipation on Christmas Eve. Anticipation means expecting something to happen. I remember putting on my PJs on Christmas Eve, my new PJs, which was a Christmas Eve tradition, putting milk and cookies by the fireplace, climbing into bed, but not being able to go to sleep because anticipation was keeping me awake. Anybody else relate to that? Do you remember those moments when you just couldn't go to sleep because you knew something special was going to happen? There will be a lot of anticipation in the kids' rooms tonight as children strain to hear the prancing and pawing of each little hoof. You know Dasher and Dancer, Prancer and Vixen, and all the rest from the song. <clears throat> but do you know the real story of the reindeer that do not live at the North Pole? God's design for these majestic creatures is simply incredible and reminds us that when God provides, the anticipation is awesome. Did you know that both male and female reindeer, or caribou, sport antlers? And that they annually migrate up to 3,000 miles, more than any other mammal on the planet. Reindeer have the ability to change their eyes' wavelength reflection. In, in, and what that does is it changes their eye ability to pull in light. So in the dark Arctic winters, when light is so very, very dim, the reindeer can see better. And their eyes, which are golden color during the summertime, that iris changes to a blue color in the winter. And you say, why blue? Because blue lets in more light. And so the light comes in through the sides of their eyes even and, it, and, uh, and affects even more photocells so that the reindeer can see even when others cannot. Only, only mammal that we know of that can do that with their eyes. Simply amazing. And their winter coats are comprised of long, hollow hair. Hollow not to be confused as hollow like us in, in certain places on our head <laughs> where, it, where it's hollow. No, the actual hair is hollow, which serves like a, life, like a life jacket so that the reindeer can float across raging rivers. Their broad, hair-lined hooves are concaved, which distributes the animal's weight on the surface of the snow, much like a snowshoe. And while walking, they make clicking sounds, which help them to stay close in blizzard-like conditions. And no, they don't fly, but they are fast. A day-old reindeer, day-old, can outrun a human being. And we all, of course, recognize that famous reindeer with the red glowing nose. But breathing the harsh Arctic air would kill the caribou's lung cells if the wind and the breeze went right from the outer side into their lungs. But because of the reindeer's nose they are able to survive. The air that comes into their nose is heated 150 degrees in less than a second. Simply 
incredible. Sometimes life stops us in our tracks like the bitter Arctic wind. Everything good we've anticipated is gone and we're left with the disappointment that reality is not going to turn out like we had hoped or like we had expected or like we had anticipated. But remember, if, if God can sustain the reindeer in such harsh circumstances, imagine what he can do for you in the tough times of life. And much of life, folks, never lives up to the hype or the anticipation anyway. But don't miss God's ever-present blessings because you can't get past what just happened in your life or what didn't happen that you were hoping would. Maurice Setter wrote this, too many people miss the silver lining because they're expecting gold. Don't miss God's silver lining. No matter what your anticipation, the message of Christmas is always the silver lining. The, the story of Rudolph that inspired the song, which is his musical counterpart, ends a little bit differently than the song ends. The book about Rudolph ends with these words. Santa is speaking to his famous reindeer, Rudolph, and he says this, by you, last night's journey was actually bossed. Without you, I'm certain we'd all have been lost. We love the story of Rudolph because in a childlike way, it reflects the true power of Christmas. You see, Christmas changed everything for us. With the birth of Christ, the Savior came into this world who would pay our debt of sin. And we can anticipate a hopeful future because of him. We can say, without you, Jesus, we'd all have been lost. Years ago, this sign was seen hanging in a department store window, and uh, it read like this. It said, let's make this the best Christmas ever. Underneath, some thoughtful shopper had taken a pen and scribbled these words. How will we ever top the first one? Indeed, there's no way to top the first one. And don't forget, folks, that that spirit of anticipation can work in the opposite way, the, sometimes the negative way. For instance, we can be thinking, oh, that test that we've got tomorrow in mathematics is going to be so hard, I don't, I don't think I'm going to get a very good grade. Or, I'm really nervous about the job interview I've got coming up later in the week. I hope I don't freeze and not able to answer the questions correctly. Or, I just know this surgery is going to be unbearable. Maybe I should just cancel it all together. Or, I anticipated we'd have more time together. I just can't believe he's gone. Sometimes, sometimes anticipation is unnerving. Let me tell you about one young man who had a lot to anticipate at Christmas, but in his mind, it wasn't exciting. It was daunting. Now, really, everything had started out great. The woman he adored had agreed to marry him, and the engagement had already been announced. The plans were being made, and then everything went to pieces. His fiancée confessed that she was going to have a baby, and his world fell apart because he knew immediately that it wasn't his child. In a thousand years, he could never have anticipated this happening. How could Mary have done this to me? Joseph pondered. In the 50 most familiar Christmas hymns are carols. From the first Noel to the Hallelujah Chorus, most of the characters of Christmas 
appear over and over again. As you might anticipate, there's the baby Jesus in the manger. There's Mary, there's the shepherds, there's gazillions of angels, and there's the visiting magi. But of the 50 best carols, only one mentions Joseph, and only once. In the last verse of angels we have heard on high, it goes like this. See within a manger laid Jesus, Lord of heaven and earth. Mary, Joseph, lingerade with us sing our Savior's birth. That's it. Sing, Joseph. That's all she wrote. Even the little drummer boy who isn't real gets more press than Joseph does in the Christmas carols. And really, be honest. When's the last time in all of the story of Christmas you ever thought much of Joseph? At that time, an engagement period was as binding as marriage. The betrothed couple were actually referred to as husband and wife, and so if something happened, if something unanticipated happened to make the marriage fall apart, even though they weren't actually married yet, it was just a, an engagement period, the, the, the husband still had to give the wife, as they were referred to, a writing of divorcement. Joseph had a decision that he had to make. And Matthew is the only gospel writer that gives us a glimpse into this part of the story and into the heart of Joseph. Here's what Matthew writes in chapter 1, verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Ah, I look at Joseph. I see here a good man, a man of integrity. And he was struggling with what to do. He wanted to be faithful to God and God's word, but he loved Mary deeply. So which way does he turn? What's the right thing to do? Folks, I, am so, I so highly respect Joseph that his commitment to Mary didn't supersede his commitment to God. That he loved her, yes, but that he loved God more. And he, and he listened to God's word, and he was going to do what God instructed him to do in his word. But he would do it with all the compassion and tenderness that he possibly could. He would do the right thing, but he would do it in love. There would be no public shame for Mary. I'm impressed with that man, aren't you? You see, often when we struggle with our decisions, our faith is the first to go. When we're wrestling with which way to go, our commitment to God usually takes the first hit. When our compassion overrides to our desire to do what is right, then it ceases to be a godly compassion and it ceases to be a godly decision. Folks, it's always right. It's always right to put God first. Dr. Madison Surratt, math professor at Vanderbilt University many years ago, used to introduce his first test of the semester with this message. Today I'm giving you two examinations, one in trigonometry and the other one in honesty. I hope you will pass them both. If you must fail one, fail trigonometry. There are many good people in the world who can't pass trig, but there are no good people in the world who cannot pass the test of honesty. When faced with the spiritual and moral dilemmas of your life, be steadfast in your faith. 
The text goes on like this. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you, notice this, you will give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. I'm telling you folks, following Jesus can be costly. Have you ever wondered... Where was, where was the rest of Joseph's family in Bethlehem? I mean, do you remember why he had to go back to Bethlehem? You had to go back to the town of your heritage, to the town of your forefathers, to, to the place where your family had come from. Now, it seems inconceivable to me that Joseph was the last one left of his family. Even if Joseph's father had already passed away, don't you think there would have been an uncle or a brother or a cousin that would have been going back to Bethlehem for the same census? And don't you think that the family would have gathered around? I mean, come on, the birth of a child is big news in a family. But I suspect, I suspect that when Joseph made the choice to do what the angel of the Lord had commanded him to do, to take Mary to be his wife, that his family rejected that choice and rejected him and rejected Mary. And there is no hint in the scriptures that anybody in either of their families was there that night at the birth of Jesus. Following Jesus can be costly. I don't think Joseph anticipated that. But God's direction for our lives may not always be what we anticipate either. But I'm telling you, there's no substitute for obedience. Do not compromise your character. Your character and your integrity is your best gift to God. And it's your best gift to your family. Now, Joseph probably didn't have much of this world's standards, or have much by this world's standards, or much of this world's goods. But he was rich in character. Have you ever thought about the fact that Joseph is probably the most selfless person in the Christmas story? Have you ever thought about that? He could never have anticipated how this baby would change his plans. I mean, let's start with the fact that Joseph had to postpone his marriage, the completion of his marriage to Mary, until after the baby's birth. And then Joseph had to endure the shame of a baby conceived out of wedlock, which wasn't his own, but everybody assumed it was. And he spent some two years in Bethlehem, not, not where they were from, but in Bethlehem after the birth of Jesus, establishing a business which wasn't in his plans. And then by the time he gets everything kind of set and the business kind of going, then the angel comes and says, now I want you to take Mary and the baby to Egypt until Herod dies because Herod's going to try and kill the baby. And so they kept everything. They moved to Egypt. On a side note, do you know what tradition tells us? Tradition tells us that they, they stayed in the city of On in Egypt, which is where another Joseph, the Joseph of the Old Testament, had lived, the Joseph that became second in command of all of Egypt. It's amazing how God ties all the story together. Afterwards, he was planning on returning to Bethlehem to get that business going again. And this time, the angel said to him, nope, you're going to go back home to Nazareth, your hometown, and start all over. 
Never once, folks, in all of this, do we find Joseph disobeying. If I were Joseph, I think I would have said, I've had it up to here with angel visits. I don't want any more angels showing up at my doorstep telling me where I need to go. I'm going to work my plans from here on out. Joseph doesn't do that. At every turn, at every disappointment, at every unanticipated moment, Joseph follows the Lord. What an example for us to follow. When God calls for a change of plans, be willing to change. Joseph, I believe, was also rich in love, cared deeply for this child that God had entrusted to his care. Can, can you imagine God choosing anybody but a loving father and a caring father to take care of Jesus in his life here? Christmas really is the story of love. God's love for us. Joseph's love for his earthly family. And Christmas is only the first chapter of this grand love story. The love story doesn't end until the resurrection. This quote from a seven-year-old boy sums it up pretty well. Love is what's in the room with you at Christmas if you stop opening presents and listen. We can't anticipate all the twists and turns of life. Nothing is guaranteed. But we can guarantee that so long as it depends on us, there will be love in our home and in our hearts no matter what. What? Joseph could never have anticipated everything that would take place in this child's life. But on that first Christmas night, God gave him a special gift. Did you notice when we were reading through the text that the angel said, and Joseph, you get to name him. Well, it's not really my boy. Yes, but you get to name him. And you're going to give him the name Jesus. And so on the night that the baby was born, Joseph named him Jesus, which means Savior. In his arms, he held the promised Messiah, God in the flesh, and he would raise him as his own. And one day, that carpenter's son would declare, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. History records an interesting footnote near the end of the Civil War that no one could have anticipated. During the dark winter of 1864, as the war was drawing to a close, General Robert E. Lee and his troops go into battle against General Ulysses S. Grant at the Battle of Petersburg, Virginia. It would be a critical battle. It would be a long battle. But on one of those dark Petersburg nights, one of General Lee's officers, General George Pickett, received word that his wife had given birth to a baby boy. Up and down the southern Confederate lines, they built bonfires to celebrate the birth of a baby boy for one of their favorite generals. That did not go unnoticed by the North. But these fires were not those of any kind of uh, battle. These were celebratory fires. And when the North learned what the fires meant, something really unique happened. You see, General Grant and General Pickett had been contemporaries at West Point. They knew each other well. Before the war, they had been close friends. And so to honor the occasion, General Grant ordered that bonfires be built on the northern side to celebrate the birth of a son. And so on that night, that unique night in the Civil War, 
No angry sh shouts were heard cast back and forth across the lines. Not one shot was fired. No battles raged on. Only light celebrating the birth of a son. The good news of Christmas is that in the midst of a great darkness, there came an incredible light. It was not just a temporary flicker. It was not just a momentary flame. It was an eternal light, the light of the world himself. Sometimes life can feel pretty dark, but the Christmas story reminds us and affirms our anticipation that no matter what happens in our life, the light of Christ shines and always will. No matter what happens, his light shines. If you could ask Joseph tonight, he'd tell you so. Because the son he raised became his savior. The boy he taught how to build became the light of the world. Thank you for watching this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know you can view any message from the past six years at socc.org messages? You can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv.